You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Hill City Church, and I'm excited to continue our teaching series, Hooked. And uh, we've really been treating this teaching series almost like a master class on change. How do we change? How does spiritual transformation, how does spiritual formation take place in our lives? And if we're honest, why aren't we experiencing it to the level that we expect to? Today, I want to start off with a question. Why do we do the things that we know are bad for us? Have you ever done that before? Where you made a decision and you had this almost internal wrestling that took place before you made that decision, and you caved. You knew it was bad for you. I should probably go to bed, or I could watch 15 more episodes. (laughs) I probably shouldn't text him or her. I just got out of a bad relationship. Or I could text him at 2 in the morning. I probably shouldn't have another drink. Or I'm going to hit it hard because it's the weekend. Or like uh, one of my college roommates might say, I probably shouldn't have another jack-in-the-box taco. (laughs) Or I could go for the record and down 39 jack-in-the-box tacos. Yes, that's a real real life experience. And uh, and to, to be serious, though, we make these decisions, and it's not just with, you know, with health, you know, health things, health food, you know, all that sort of stuff. We make these decisions, and we choose sin when we know it's bad for us, when we know it's destructive. And uh, this is a bit of an extreme picture that we get from Proverbs 26, 11, but it's really helpful. Almost the shock factor is helpful. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And I understand that's gross. (laughs) I have two dogs at home. I want to show you a picture of one of my dogs. This is Willow. Uh, That's a picture I took of her this week. Do you see what's underneath her paw? What is it? It's a little bit unrecognizable. It's a tennis ball. This is what a tennis ball is supposed to look like. This is a tennis ball after Willow gets done playing with it. You know, a tennis ball is supposed to bounce, and then this one just kind of plops on the ground. And, uh, and I know a little something, having two dogs for a number of years, about dogs and vomit. Uh, th- in fact, this Tuesday morning, no joke, it's almost like the Lord gave me this illustration at <laughs> Tuesday, five in the morning, where I heard my dog Willow dry heaving underneath my bed. She crawled under the bed. And she threw up, and I was like, oh, no, did Shana hear it? Of course she didn't. You know, I'm a lighter sleeper. So I'm getting up, using my phone flashlight. I'm army crawling underneath. I'm wiping it up. And uh, the culprit, once again, this is not uh, an uncommon experience. The culprit was yellow fuzz and little bits of rubber from inside of a tennis ball. And... uh, and if you, know, if you know something about dogs and vomit, sometimes you, I, had to, I had to spring up and, and clean it up because otherwise, what do dogs do? They eat it. They'll eat it again. And if it's undigestible chunks of rubber from a tennis ball, they'll throw up again. And it's this endless cycle. And it's very difficult for me to explain to my dog, Willow, that a tennis ball is not delicious food. So you don't 
But she, she runs back to it time and time and time again. And I thought we were supposed to be smarter than dogs. And for us, the things that oftentimes we crave, that we give into, they're a lot more destructive than chewing on a tennis ball. In fact, we've been using this metaphor of the hook, right? Ooh, the lure. Got a little bit of a snag there. Been using this, this metaphor of the hook. And last week, we've talked about the enemy's lies, the deception of the enemy. And today, we're talking about this idea of the only reason the enemy's lies work is because there's something appealing about sin to us. There's something that actually looks good to us that makes us cave in time and time and time again. Today, we're talking about the second enemy of your soul, the flesh. If you have a Bible, open to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in Galatians 5 the entire time today. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage. And as you turn there, uh, Paul has been discussing with the church in Galatia this idea of freedom. He begins uh, Galatians 5 uh, verse 1 with this idea of, for freedom Christ has set us free. And then he continues that idea of freedom in verse 13. If you're there, Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for what? For the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Jesus there. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed, or the word is literally annihilated by one another. The Greek word for flesh is sarks. Everyone say sarks. It's where we get the word sarcastic. If you know someone who's sarcastic, it literally means biting to the flesh, that their words bite uh, your flesh. Or sarcophagus, right? It's where the Egyptians would keep the flesh in you know, those tombs. And quite literally, it this word sarx means your actual flesh, your body, right? Literally, that's what it means, but that's not really how Paul is using it here. He's not saying that our bodies are evil. We believe that God created the physical world, the material world as good. He created you as good, your body as good, even certain appetites and cravings that your body have as good. And I think the most helpful way to define uh, the flesh, now it's a little bit debated within biblical scholars, but uh, I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. He defines the flesh as the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. That sin has a way of getting into your bones. That sin has a way of almost becoming like muscle memory and it shapes your desires. It shapes what you like and actually what you crave. Here's my definition of the flesh for today. Your acquired taste for sinful things. Your acquired taste for sinful things. No one takes their first sip of black coffee and thinks, that was so yummy. <laughs> Unless you're my two-year-old daughter, Rosemary, in which case I'm pretty sure she's going to be a caffeine addict one day. I'll make a, a pot of coffee black as night, and she's like, yum. And I'm like, no, get that away from you. Uh, but what happens, if you've ever had this experience, maybe your tastes have changed over the years, is if you do something long enough, it becomes an acquired taste. And when it comes to the flesh, 
your sinful appetites and desires might be different from someone else's sinful appetites and desires because you've indulged different things throughout your life. And the longer you feed a desire, the stronger that desire becomes. The longer you give in to those cravings, and often the cravings of the flesh have to do with some of our physical desires of our body. So this isn't separated from our bodies necessarily. But the longer you give into it, the stronger that desire becomes. And just because you've gone under the water of baptism and come back up, if you were a drug dealer or a drug user before, it doesn't mean that drugs don't appeal to you anymore. Some people have that kind of instantaneous uh, experience where God takes away, removes the desire all at once. But for most people, the things that we liked about sin, after we become a Christian, we still like those things. Does that make sense? It's an acquired taste. And we carry those tastes and those cravings with us throughout our lives. And there's this thing called the law of diminishing returns. Maybe you've heard of that. It's this idea that, you know, we would like to think that we as humans are, you know, kind of like a mathematical equation, that you can put the same input into the equation and get the same result. But the law of diminishing returns says that doesn't actually happen. That if you want to get the same result, a good feeling from something, you actually have to increase the input over time to experience the same Result. I'm going to give you an example. This is a personal example. Uh, if you have this picture in your mind that pastors or church workers are perfect, this example will shatter that perspective for you. So I hope this is a safe place to share. Anyone remember uh, the year 2020? Anyone remember that? Seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, the year 2020, right? Everyone was working from home, at least most people were, you know, didn't, not even going really out to restaurants, all that sort of stuff, social distancing, right? And right in the thick of that, everyone kind of coped with that in a different way. And, I, and uh, one thing that you might know about me is I drink beer, okay? So there's, if you have that picture-perfect uh, <laughs> picture perspective of me, I think it's very, very difficult uh, to prove uh, theologically, that there's a strictly prohibitive approach to alcohol from Scripture. Certainly, drunkenness is always a sin. And uh, I'm happy to say I've never been drunk. I'm not an alcoholic. doesn't run in my family, anything like that. Uh, but I'll drink maybe a beer or two each week, something like that. Except for during 2020. And what I found was, you know, usually if you, if you know the term social drinking, that's like, hey, we're going out with friends, we're going to a restaurant, it's a social occasion. There's no social drinking because there's no social, right? You're social distancing. And so I would often end not just, you know, one or two days a week. I started ending every day. Now I'd go into my room, lock the door, listen to the chaos of my kids and the dogs on the other side of the door, try and get some work done by cracking open a cold one with my dogs. I wouldn't actually give my dogs beer. But, uh, and I just end the day like that, and then the next day, would end the day like that. And, and I started to realize after a few weeks that I had, become, I had started to become dependent on a beer to relax each and every day. And I started to notice this when you know, I would run out of a six-pack in the fridge and it almost became like eggs, milk, or bread. We got to go to the store. We have to keep it on hand, right? And it was kind of this thing where I had never had that experience before. Again, this is 2020 coping mechanisms, all of that sort of stuff, 
and I caught it, thankfully, after a, a number of weeks. Like I said, it never turned into something sinful, but it definitely was something my flesh started to crave. I was feeding that desire, becoming dependent on it, and I uh, had to tell, tell some friends, get accountability, made new boundaries on when I'll drink and when I won't drink, and that sort of thing. And that's an example of feeding the flesh, of feeding a, a craving of the flesh. Here's what I'll say, though. Unfortunately, many people do not catch it that quickly. What happens for many people, and I'll give the example of sexual immorality, specifically pornography use, because it is rampant inside and outside of the church. It would be naive to say that there's not many people in this room struggling with sexual sin right now. What happens for many people is it starts maybe seemingly innocent. It's the kind of social media accounts that you follow. It's the kind of TV shows or the movies that you consistently watch, and it turns into lust and fantasies, and it turns into watching pornography maybe a few times, and then it's every day, and then it's hardcore stuff, and then all of a sudden, it's not enough just to watch or participating in those deeds. And I, and I am not kidding you when I'm telling you that I've known numerous people who found themselves in prison for not only immoral sexual acts, but illegal sexual acts. Not one or two, numerous people. And it all started by the kind of TV show they watched. And that's the flesh. That's how serious this enemy of the flesh is for our souls. And I know what you might be thinking. Well, that's not me. That's not me. That might not be you today. That might not be you next week. But given enough time, when you keep gratifying that desire. You sow, you're sowing seeds to the flesh. You're acquiring a taste and your cravings and your appetites are changing. And just because you're a Christian does not make you exempt from facing the flesh. And so what happens is, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but the world actually encourages you to feed the flesh that's this, this double difficulty. The enemy wants to lie to you to make the flesh, the desires of the flesh appealing, and the world encourages you. And in fact, the extreme that the church in Galatia seems to be facing is this word hedonism. We're gonna look at a chart today, two extremes, and the actual way that Jesus wants us to live. But the extreme is hedonism, where we have this freedom in Christ, and Paul is saying, just because you're free in Christ doesn't mean you should live a life of hedonism. Hedonism is fulfilling your own desires as the ultimate good. The ultimate goal of life is to be happy by doing whatever your body tells you to do, by, by fulfilling whatever desire you might have. And that is extremely prevalent in our, in our modern uh, culture that we live in today. And it's actually viewed as repressive from the inside if you try and say no to yourself or oppressive from the outside, it's why the church is kind of like an enemy, like the culture views the church as an enemy. Why would you tell someone not to give in to their desires? Don't you want people to be happy, right? It's this idea that happiness is found by fulfilling whatever you want to do. And it seems like the church in Galatia is living that out. That people are, are almost using the gospel as this credit card with no maximum spending limit. Well, God's just going to forgive me every time, so I guess I'll just keep on sinning. Besides, it feels good. And they're feeding, they're sowing seeds into 
the flesh. And the thing that we have to know about the flesh is the flesh is all about me, me, me. My wants, my desires, my appetites, what sounds good, what feels good to who? To me. And what Paul does here is he actually gives us our very first practice that we can use to combat the flesh. And that's actually through service. We can say this, use your freedom to serve. This is our first practice. We're going to have two key practices today. Write this one down. Use your freedom that you have in Christ to serve. Do you see a little bit of a paradox here? We were slaves to sin. Christ has freed us only for us to now use our freedom to serve. And the thing that makes the freedom that we have in Christ true freedom is actually who is our master. We know that sin is a horrible master. You want to know what it gives you for your paycheck? The wages of sin is death. That's not a good paycheck to get. But what we experience in Christ is we experience eternal life, joy, peace, fulfillment, purpose, all that sort of stuff, right? Jesus is a good master. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He loves you. He cares for you. He laid down his life for you. And so now what do we do? We use the freedom we have in Christ to serve one another. And there's something really powerful about this. This is why I would encourage you, even if you're not serving here at Hill City Church, to to serve to sign up to serve. It's not just like Jake mentioned, because we have lots of opportunities to serve, which we do. I will reiterate that, we do. But I would encourage you to be using your gifts to serve, even if you're not sure exactly how you're gifted, where you need to serve, all of that sort of stuff, because simply the act of saying, I'm going to wake up earlier to help other people, I'm going to spend my energy in my body. I'm going to, I'm going to spend my time, use, use my body, not to fulfill my own desires and happiness, not to feed the flesh. I'm going to do it to help other people. That in and of itself is a spiritual practice that actually helps you say no to your flesh and put the needs and the interests of others above yourself, even if you're scrubbing toilets. And that might be for you, like, one of the most revolutionary ideas that doing even seemingly meaningless tasks, God is using those things to shape you and to give you increasing freedom from your flesh. And so if you've been living a life that is me, 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 try serving. Try serving. It doesn't have to be just within the the, the context of our church, serving here, being a part of a team, but I would invite you to, to consider that. Go to hillcityboise.org slash serve. You can check out all our different serving teams. Paul is going to go on here. If serving is one of the practices, he's going to really tell us how we can have victory over the flesh. In verse 16, Galatians 5, 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not. That's a double negative, may in Greek. It means you will certainly not. There's no way. It's basically saying there's no way that you're going to gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. He said it three times now. They're opposites, right? They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Most of us, when we make those bad decisions, we're conflicted about them. Maybe we're conflicted beforehand if we had enough time to think about it, or if it was just an instinct. That's oftentimes how the flesh is, almost like an animalistic instinct. I just, I just gave into that craving. I gave into that desire. Where maybe we're conflicted afterwards. 
I felt bad. I, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I hadn't given in to my flesh in that way. And really what that means is there's, uh, there, there's two conflicting desires within you. There's what we can call these surface level desires, the desires of the flesh, those acquired appetites for sinful things. And then there's these deeper desires. We can call it the cravings of your very soul. And the, the capital S spirit is referring to the Holy Spirit. And what that means is what God wants for you, what the Holy Spirit wants for you, is actually what your soul is craving all along. It's actually the things that will truly fulfill you and satisfy you at a deep soul level. So here's some examples. Your body might just want to have sex. It just wants that you know, physical act or that physical release. What your soul craves is deep, intimate connection with another human being, to know someone and to be known by them at the most deep level on the human, uh, uh, that a human can be known. And what happens is when you fulfill the surface level, however you want, wherever you want, whoever you want, it actually sabotages the deeper desire of your soul. Does that make sense? There's two other examples. Your body might just by muscle memory, this is why I think you know, the flesh is almost like this muscle memory for sin, might want to scroll endlessly on social media. Just scroll endlessly or watch endless episodes because you want to be distracted at one level. I just want to zone out. I just want to check out. I don't want to think about anything. Here's what your soul actually craves. True peace. You can sit in the silence and you don't have this underlying buzz of anxiety. You don't have this underlying always being reminded of the fears. Your soul actually craves the ability to sit in silence before God and be okay and be content. That's what your soul desires. And guess what sabotages that desire? It's the endless distractions we fill our lives with. Almost muscle memory. Have you ever had that where you didn't have your phone in your pocket and you reach for it anyways? because you're so used to reaching for it, it's muscle, like these are neural pathways in our brains. That's why those things don't just go away when you become a Christian. These are muscle memories. These are feeding, these acquired tastes for sinful things. And the last one is alcohol. Your, your body might crave you know, a substance, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be to relax, to feel good. What your soul actually craves is true joy, where you can be happy, you can enjoy fellowship with other people without having to depend on a substance to feel good. And what the Holy Spirit wants for you is the Holy Spirit wants those, to bring those deeper desires of your soul to the surface. John Mark Comer says it like this in his book, Live No Lies. Our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. Our strongest desires, the things that seem so pressing in the moment, that instant gratification, that quick hit, right? That dopamine, that serotonin, that, th those, those chemicals that are going off in your brain are, are often your strongest desires you might feel in the moment. They're not actually the deepest desires that your soul actually has. Now, we have to be careful when we're talking about the flesh, though. Uh, this is why I don't believe Paul is talking just about your physical body, because your physical body, God created good, and there are good even desires and cravings that your body has. And one of the ways that sometimes people try and solve this, this problem of hedonism is they swing the pendulum too far and they start advocating for something called legalism. 
legalism. Legalism is essentially salvation by rule following. And the church in Galatia was also filled, not just with people who seemed to, to use the gospel as permission to sin, but also Judaizers. It's one of the main issues uh, that's present that set up the letter to the church in Galatia, where they're saying that you have to follow all these different rules, and that's how you become acceptable to God, and that's why God loves you, because you did a good enough job following the rules, specifically Jewish rules, Jewish law. And uh, legalism is essentially taking the gospel which says that you can't earn your way to God, but God came to us and died for us, and his grace covers us. And it takes the gospel and it reduces it to a list of thou shalt nots. Don't do this, don't do that, right? And and it basically, it's adding rules upon rules upon rules. And it essentially says you, you need to be good enough for God by striving harder to follow the rules. You see how that's the other extreme. One, do whatever feels good. It doesn't matter anyways. The other side, you have to earn it, right? And, and Paul's solution is neither of those. In fact, he speaks in Galatians 5 strongly against both. His solution is what we can call the spirit life. Spirit with a capital S. Not just your internal spirit, the Holy Spirit. He says, walk by the spirit. And there's no way you're gonna gratify the desires of the flesh, Live in partnership with the Holy Spirit of God. This is why we have to be born again. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God if we want a chance against these enemies of the soul. This is what Jesus talked about in John 15 when he said, abide in the vine. Where the branches, he's the vine. Be connected to Jesus as the life source. And the important thing for us to acknowledge is that victory comes not from striving harder To say no to your flesh, it comes through spirit empowerment. It comes by letting the Holy Spirit do that work of sanctification in your soul. We'll talk about how we can actually open ourselves up to letting the Holy Spirit do his work. But first, Paul's going to go on and give us a list uh, just of some of the works of the flesh in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's just, that's, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just 15 things, which is pretty long, but it's just some of the things, the works of the flesh. And I want to kind of go down through at least groupings of these and just look in the mirror and say, are you practicing the works of the flesh right now? And if it's not one of these things, maybe there's another work of the flesh that you're living in your life. And just to remind us that really it's not only just wanting the wrong things, but sometimes fulfilling these things in the wrong way, that there's sometimes even a deeper desire that we're fulfilling that desire in a sinful way. William Barclay says it like this, without exception, every one of them, referring to this list of 15, is a perversion of something which is in itself good. That there's even these longings and these these cravings that our heart has, that it's just going about fulfilling them in the wrong way. John Mark Comer calls these disordered desires. It might be a a, a true and good desire, but we've elevated it, and now it's become our God, 
Uh, Let's look at the first kind of grouping, sexual immorality, impurity, or sensuality. We could say, you know, some other things to add to this list would be pornography, hookup culture, sex outside of marriage. It could be sex before marriage, adultery, living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, something like that, homosexual, homosexual sex, just apart from God's design. Or even, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, even lust, even ongoing lust. And what's at the heart of all of this is to recognize, again, we don't want to get to legalism where we condemn any you know, having a sex drive or anything like that. Sex was created by God, but it was never intended to be your God. It was never intended to be everything that you're living your life for. And I I would just say to you to put sex back in its proper God-designed location as in a marriage between a husband and a wife. The next one would be idolatry. Idolatry, I wanted to list uh, on its own because it's really this idea of putting something or someone above God. There's a lot of things that could fit into that. For the church in Galatia, uh, there is a very real danger of actual idol, like pagan idolatry. You know, actual people might own shrines in their in their homes. You know, family shrines or actual physical idols. They might be tempted towards syncretism or mixing those kind of things. For us today, it might be as simple as putting your career above your love for God, putting money above your love for God putting material things, putting a relationship, or maybe even that modern syncretism of mixing your Christian faith with kind of new philosophies of our current age. And the reality is, even idolatry has this root of our hearts were made to worship. That's the good desire at the heart of that. Your heart was made to worship, but your heart was made to worship the creator, not the creation, The next grouping, and this is the longest one, we should take note of this, is enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. There's an emphasis here. Do you notice that? Earlier, Paul talks about the church is biting and devouring one another. This is one of the results of us as humans having this me, 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 my needs first mentality is it actually when we're turned inward on ourselves we turn against one another even against one another in the church that sound familiar this is this is what's been happening in our nation the last two years and it has crept into so many congregations this is the culture wars This is unhealthy fights. And there's a healthy way to fight. There's a healthy way to have conflict. This is honestly even the way to say it is just even just being a jerk. Not just, I had a bad day, I kind of, you know, exploded. Like, just always being mean to one another. Always creating division wherever you go. The good thing that's at the root of this is there's a zealousness. There's There's a righteous anger that is a good thing that God wants us to stand up for what's right. Unfortunately, everyone right now feels like their anger is righteous anger on whatever issue they're talking about. Because if you post online and you're angry enough, you can get a ton of likes and feel very validated and righteous in your anger. And what's happening is you see this demonization of every single person who disagrees with you. And I would just say, check your anger. Check your strife, your jealousy, your dissensions, your divisions. Paul is calling out people who are taking a knife to the body of Christ and dividing it. This is very serious. Those are all works of the flesh. 
It's not just the sensuality and the, you know, the substances and the stuff that makes you feel good. You know what else feels good? Letting someone have it when you're yelling at them. Being right online and having people agree with you. Making someone feel horrible for disagreeing with you. Church, we need to check ourselves. There is a righteous anger that comes from God, but if you start to notice that you're creating unnecessary divisions in your family or in the church, you might be participating in a work of the flesh. And this last grouping, and I added sorcery to this one, is sorcery, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We can say these are drugs or alcohol, abuse, substance abuse, partying. Uh, Sorcery has some of that pagan uh, influence as well, but really uh, the Greek word is pharmakia, which is where we get pharmacy from, and it's specifically sorcery, like using drugs, like as part of the sorcery, right? So this is depending on substances, and once again, the, the desire at the root of this is desire for community, to be together with people, like party, going to, like having a party at your house, like having community is great, but when you introduce substances into those situations, when you introduce lax uh, sexual morals into those relationships, instead of creating relationships, guess what it does? It destroys them. And instead of creating a, a fulfilling community, it creates a toxic community. And when Paul says, and he says a very strong warning, Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's a present active, so we have to acknowledge. It says, those who keep on doing these things. So it's not just, I I slip back up into my old habits. I made a mistake, right? Something like that. It's, I'm living it out every weekend. I'm living this every day. I'm not, I'm not even trying to repent. I'm not even trying to confess. I'm not, I'm, it's that idea of you keep on living for the flesh That is evidence that the flesh is your Lord, not Jesus. That you're walking by the flesh, you are not walking by the Spirit. And even if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, your life is evidence of your faith. And as strong as Paul says, if you you live by the Spirit, you're gonna have victory, because this is the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, and he who is in you is greater than even your strong, even animalistic desires and cravings. The Holy Spirit is stronger. He will give you victory. Paul is confident in that, but his warning is just as severe as his confidence in the Spirit. If you are living a life consistently practicing the works of the flesh, to quote Paul, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that should sober us up, church. Galatians chapter five, verse 22, continuing. But the fruit of the spirit, it's not all bad news, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God wants to grow good things in your life. God wants to grow good things in your life. This teaching series, Hooked, is heavy. I've been waiting two years to preach it because the timing really hasn't been right. It's heavy. But the reality is, sin is heavy. The death that sin leads to is heavy. The works of the flesh are heavy. And we need a wake-up call. But the good news is that the gospel is not just a list of thou shalt nots. There is eternal life life abundantly, life to the full, and God wants to grow good things in your life. Uh, I wanna use this as an opportunity to promote our next teaching series, 
Our very next teaching series is called Fruit. It looks a lot happier, doesn't it? <laughs> Yay, there's no chains in prison and no fish hooks on stage, hopefully. It's started, at the end of the series, we're going to jump into, okay, once we've found freedom in Christ in these ways, what does he want to grow in your life? We spent four weeks on hook. We're going to spend nine weeks. We're going to go through every single one of these fruit of the Spirit. So we don't have time to go through all of them right now. I'll just say this. If you've never memorized the fruit of the Spirit, memorize it. You've got a few weeks to do so. Memorize it. I often use the fruit of the Spirit as a prayer template to go through love. God, grow love in my life. How, do you want to, how are you stretching me and growing me in love? Joy, right? Just go through every single one of the fruit of the Spirit. Memorize that. Uh, God wants to grow things, good things in your life. Those are the good things that the Holy Spirit grows in our lives. We'll spend nine weeks going through them. We won't go through the list right now. The point today is this. Fruit doesn't grow overnight. Fruit doesn't grow overnight. I understand that some of these, you know, desires of the flesh, maybe we don't even know how we acquired them, right? We didn't pick it. But, but oftentimes what I'm emphasizing today is this idea that when we feed the flesh, when we feed those acquired tastes for sin, it grows. When we walk by the Spirit, fruit grows. And it doesn't happen overnight. And what I often hear from followers of Jesus is, I, yeah, I started reading my Bible four or five days. Nothing seemed to happen, so I kind of gave up. We live in a microwave age, a microwave spirituality age. We live in the age of Wi-Fi not even dial up internet anymore. And I, I do remember those days. It's instantaneous, right? I ordered my food. Why don't I have it in my hands? You know, it's this idea that, that we're used to instant gratification and the, the sanctification, again, that we're talking today about sanctification, becoming more holy, not justification, right? You're fully forgiven when you have a faith in Jesus. His blood covers your sins. We're talking about this ongoing work which will continue throughout your entire life. And so if you were hoping for this quick hit, I'm totally perfect now that I'm a Christian, Christianity, I'll, I hate to burst the bubble, but that's not what happens. You're going to be fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil by depending on the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life. And increasingly, Paul is confident, and I am confident as well, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will have victory. And one day, one day we are promised that he who began a good work in you will complete that work on the day of redemption. But I believe that throughout the rest of your life, it is an ongoing process of every, this is why every single day matters. Every single decision matters. And for so many people, man, maybe last week you slipped, Thursday, right? You slipped into the old habit. You fulfilled that old desire. Well, guess what? Friday morning, his mercies are new every morning. And that's why it matters it matters not to just throw in the towel. Because if you throw in the towel, you're feeding the flesh day after day after day. But if you wake up every single day and say his mercies are new every morning, and you commit that day to the Lord, you, turn, you repent, you turn again, you confess again, you understand the gospel fully covers you again. That's how you actually walk by the Spirit. And you will not, by any means, there's no way you're gonna keep gratifying the desires of the flesh. John Mark Comer says it this way, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. In the beginning, we have a choice, but eventually we have a character. And that's really the goal of spiritual formation, that the longer you walk 
with Jesus, the longer you walk by the Holy Spirit, those every single day decisions that you have made to spend time with God, to spend time in prayer, to resist the flesh, to crucify it, as Paul says, the longer that you do that, eventually, it's just going to become who you are. And guess what happens to your tastes? The things that you once acquired a taste for, they don't taste good anymore. That's the goal of spiritual formation. Not just that you would always love the same sinful thing, but you would just have the willpower to overcome it every time, that one day, and this might be years down the road, you would be able to look back and say, I don't even like that anymore. The desire, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's actually changed your very cravings and desires in your heart. I've never done a proper diet. I don't know if that's evident by my physique or not, but I've never done a diet before. But I hear from people, especially like Whole30. Anyone tried that before? You don't have to raise your hand, but Whole30, you cut out all the processed stuff. You only eat, I don't know, cavemen food. I don't know how it goes. But what happens is, I've talked to people. I've talked to people who've done this stuff. They cut out all the sugar, all that sort of stuff. Is at the beginning, it's very difficult, right? Because you still have those cravings. You do that long enough, and you look at a Snickers bar, and it doesn't even really appeal to you anymore. And you're like, I would love a carrot, right? Can they have like packaged carrots at the, <laughs> at the checkout stand? Because your, your cravings, your desires have changed. And that's truly how we, we overcome the flesh. We don't indulge in it every once in a while. And some people kind of talk about their lives before Christ, like those were the glory days. We have to stop doing that, Right? Well, I used to, you know, live this, I used to party, I used to whatever, you know, all this sort of stuff. But now, you know, I'm a Christian, so I don't really do that stuff anymore. But those were the, man, let me tell you. <laughs> and we, we almost talk about our flesh like it's just, ah, it's just kind of like fun part of me, you know? Back when I used to be fun, back when I used to whatever. And what Paul says to do is not just indulge in it occasionally, talk about it, celebrate the flesh. He doesn't say celebrate, joke around about the flesh. What does he say to do to our flesh? Crucify it. Kill it. That's what we do to our flesh. And we do that by walking every single day by the Holy Spirit. Practically speaking, I think the way that we crucify the flesh is through disciplines. Here's my main point for today. Spiritual disciplines, given enough time, grow new desires. I know it's the Holy Spirit who's actually growing those desires, but spiritual disciplines, given enough time, that's a very important phrase to put in there, because for some people they think, spiritual disciplines grow new desires, I've done spiritual disciplines, I don't have new desires. Given enough, everyone say it, time. This is long, slow, not glamorous work. I don't know if you've ever gardened before, it takes time to grow things. Spiritual disciplines are things like reading the Bible, memorizing, meditating on scripture, fasting, prayer, silence, solitude, Sabbath, generosity, service is a spiritual discipline that we talked about early. I think serving other people is a spiritual discipline that specifically targets the flesh. I'll give you another one here in just a moment, but here's another way to say it. Discipline, draw a little arrow, leads to desire. And I think the reason why we don't have success in victory over our flesh is we think we have to feel it first in order to do it. I don't feel like reading the Bible today. I don't feel like going to church worshiping today. I don't feel like fill in the blank. 
I'm a runner. I'm one of those weird people. I actually like running, right? I enjoy it. And, uh, but here's something that even the, the people I know who love running the most, a best kept secret about runners, okay? They don't always want to go for a run. Even if you love it. Even if it's a hobby that you enjoy, especially when it's cold outside, especially when it's raining, especially when you're busy, right? Those are the kinds of days that you, you sit there and you're like, do I want to do it today? You have that, that conflict. But the, the days I especially don't want to go for a run are when I've taken a few weeks off running because that desire is kind of faded. I fed other desires like vegging on the couch, eating potato chips, whatever. But you have to start as a discipline and just lace up the shoes and go. And you do that consistently to where your heart rate isn't over 200 beats per minute. You do that consistently, and that discipline leads you to desire. And that's how it works, by walking by the Holy Spirit. Stay committed, not just to resisting the flesh. Stay committed to those spiritual rhythms and disciplines. What are those rhythms and disciplines that need to be adjusted in your life? What are the additions that need to be added? Maybe you're doing great at praying, but there's no scripture. Add scripture into your life and, uh, and, and use those as spiritual warfare against the flesh. I mean, the world is going to tell you, listen to your heart, which is the worst advice you could ever have. You know, Sprite, obey your thirst. It's like almost demonic in a way, right? And yet Jesus, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him, what's those next two words? Deny himself. He's talking about your flesh. He's talking about deny just your own, your own will, the cravings that you have, take up his cross, follow me. So following Jesus, according to Jesus, by definition, means saying no to your desires because you know that God has something better for you. His kingdom come, his will be done in your life as it is in heaven because you know that God's will is actually what you would have asked for all along if you had had the wisdom to do so. One specific spiritual practice. We talked about one is serving. Here's the second one. These are like two silver bullets, okay, against the flesh. The second one, everyone's favorite spiritual discipline, fasting. Anyone just love fasting? It's like your favorite spiritual discipline. Fasting is when you don't eat food for a specific amount of time, abstaining from food to depend on God. And food is not uh, a sinful desire. It's good to want to eat food. You have to eat food to live. And yet what fasting allows you to do, it actually kind of targets that self-control that the Holy Spirit wants to grow in us, is you say no to something that your physical body craves so that you can say yes to God. And as you do that, you will have, over time, don't just fast one day and be like, that's it. I'm not addicted to pornography anymore. I fasted one time. Given enough time, fasting specifically targets your ability to say no to the flesh in other ways, to say no to the sinful desires of your flesh so that you can depend on God. Given enough time. Lent is coming up. Lent is literally a season of fasting leading up to Easter. March 2nd is when it starts. And I would encourage you over the next few weeks to be really thinking about maybe, maybe I could fast once a week this year leading up to Lent and just try it. Skip one meal, maybe a lunchtime meal, and spend the time that you would have spent eating food, spend that time in prayer, spend that time in reflection and meditation. And uh, I would encourage you to join me in doing that.
this year for Lent. And why? this is a forgotten discipline in American Christianity because Americans love food. Uh, and yet, for Jesus, this was a core spiritual practice that he himself practiced, and he encouraged his disciples to do so as well. Here at the end, I just want to remind us, we're talking a lot about like crucifying your flesh, willpower, fighting, sinful desires, all of that sort of stuff, and letting the Holy Spirit do his work, but ultimately we are empowered to live the life God has for us by the gospel. All of what Paul is saying in Galatians 5 is built upon the foundation of what he's already made a case for earlier in the first four chapters of Galatians. Galatians 2.20, I just want to end with this, where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been, that's passive. God has done something to him. God has changed his heart. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, he's using that as in his body, the life that he lives while he's in his body on earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that last sentence is the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel is Jesus loves you and he gave his life for you. And today, none of this is going to make any sense. In fact, you're setting yourself up for failure if you try to crucify your flesh without first having been crucified with Christ by putting your faith in Jesus and responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died for you on the cross because he loves you. He gave himself up for you. He rose from the grave three days later, and he wants to give you a victory in him. And I would just encourage you, today could be the day. We have, we're going to have members of our prayer team after service available to pray with you. A pastor can pray with you today. You can ask God today for Jesus to forgive your sins and to lead your life. And I always encourage people to take that step of baptism. Baptism is literally a physical representation of being crucified with Christ and being raised back up into a new life in him. And if you want to sign up to get baptized, you can go to hillcityboise.org slash baptism. I hope that today was encouraging for you, maybe a bit challenging. It's heavy stuff that we're talking about, the flesh. And yet the goal is not to make us feel like we're perverted, we're the worst, I'm a failure, anything like that, but to show you that true victory is available in Jesus Christ. It was for freedom, as Paul reminds us, that Christ has set us free. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would experience more and more of that freedom in our lives. The longer that we follow you and walk by the Holy Spirit, the longer that we listen to the Holy Spirit, the longer that we abide in the vine through these spiritual practices, God, would you meet us in that place? Show us grace. Give us victory. I pray that there would be people in this room who find victory this next week because they know that the Holy Spirit is with them and they begin to learn what it looks like to depend and to walk by the Holy Spirit every single day. God, we know that you are greater and that you are in us. You are in our midst. And I pray that the evidence of the Holy Spirit would just overflow into fruit in our lives. That we would be a people of love. We would not be biting and devouring one another. But God, would you grow the fruit of the Spirit? We pray this. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.